Hi everyone, welcome to the Cranog. This week we're doing castles and we've got some fun castles lined up for you, so enjoy. Okay, so my story starts at, unsurprisingly for this episode, a castle. Um, the castle in question being Closeburn Castle, the ancestral home of the Kirkpatricks of Dumfrieshire. The small locks to the east of the castle were often graced by the presence of a great bevy of swans, which I was very happy to find was the collective term for some swans. Um, over time, the family began to, in part, associate their fortuitous lives with the beautiful birds. Uh, whenever ill fate might strike the family, the return of the swans was sure to remedy the situation. Unfortunately, as time passed and Scotland for a time became more stable, a bit more peaceful, the luck of the swans was taken more for granted and the new generations um, knew little other than a faint memory of their grandparents mentioning something to do with some lucky swans. Uh, the new heir of Closeborn was also a young and impudent 13-year-old boy, the combination of both these components resulting in the events that followed. The young lord-to-be had been out on a trip to Edinburgh, indulging in the arts of the day. During the trip, he decided to take in a Shakespeare play, The Merchant of Venice. While we do not know whether he enjoyed this particular production, we do know what we do know is that he was fascinated by Portia's statement that Bassanio would make a swan-like end, fading in music. A morbid curiosity overtook the young noble, and he concluded he must find out if swans really do sing as they die. By the time he returned home to Closeburn Castle, though, he'd forgotten about his cruel experiment. That was until one day when he was out hunting, he passed a lock and saw a swan flying overhead. Without thinking, he shot it down. A sharp crossbow bolt punched through the swan's chest, and it dropped like a rock from the sky. As the boy approached his kill, he could not recall whether he had heard a song. Too distracted was he by the crimson blood pouring onto the pure white feathers of the once regal swan. In his shame, he took the swan and buried it deep, telling no one of his kill. It was noted by the villagers, though, that all the swans had vanished from the nearby loch, and they did not return. Another swan was not sighted near Closeburn Castle for many years, until a single swan with a deep blood-red stain upon its breast was spotted in the nearby loch by local people. Its cursed appearance causing great speculation amongst the locals. And rightly so, in less than a week from its appearance, the Lord of Closeburn Castle died and the swan vanished. It was not seen again until several years later, when its appearance coincided with news reaching the family of a loss of one of their own in a shipwreck. It was reported that the last appearance of the blood-stained swan was upon the third wedding of Sir Thomas Kirkpatrick. On this day, Sir Thomas's son Roger decided to take a walk by the loch and sighted the swan. By now, all the family knew of the ill omen of the bleeding swan, and so, even as his family rejoiced in his father's nuptials, so he sat in solemn darkness awaiting some ill fate. In my opinion, he would have been much better off making the most of the party, as he died the next day. And that's the end of the story. I love a good, a good death omen. And I was reading through a list of supernatural tellings from Dumfries and Galloway, and I came across 
it was a very brief one. It was just saying, like, date, person, thing. And then this one was, like, foreshadowing Swan in, like, a brief, like, sentence. And I was like, I need to know more about this. And it was Closeburn Castle. And I was like, that's perfect. We've got a castle in there. And I had a look and there was a an article published by, I think it was, like, The Occult Magazine or something bizarre like that in 1916. And it told the story of, of the family and their link with the swans. And it also provided a little bit at the bottom about other swans. Apparently it's an omen of death in a few different families. Um, at Longleat, the... Um, is it Lords or Dukes at Longleat? I can't quite recall. Lord, Lord, Lord Bath. Yeah, Lord Bath. There we go. Um, the granny was a housekeeper. Ah, well there we go. Fun connection. Yeah, whenever apparently whenever um, a swan crosses the lake and doesn't come back, it's an omen that one of them's going to die. So... That's that they've got that as well. So swans, despite being pretty and originally for this family lucky, they've got their ill omens too. Yeah. Oh. I feel like he very much contributed to that curse though. Just brought it on himself. Yeah, don't be shitting the swans. Exactly. Don't just kill animals. That's terrible. Oh. So yeah, no, I found that one a fun one, and I found especially the research trying to hunt it down was quite fun too. Because that haunted website, I would recommend. I can't remember what it is now though. But it was looking through supernatural things and it was Dumfries and Galloway based the section I was in. And some bits were just so obscure it made me laugh so much. There was like, it went through the sightings and the dates and everything. And some of them it would just be like, whatever bridge or something like that. And it was like, um, date unknown. This bridge was haunted, but it is no longer so. We know no more. And I was like, <laughs> that just seems like a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Many bridge exorcisms. Yeah, Is that no. A thing? How do you unhaunt a bridge? I I'll have to ask them. <laughs> they might know. Well, apparently, the way you unhaunt um, dungeons is by putting a Bible by the door. That was another thing I found. It's, their, their haunting stopped after that in a couple of cases. So maybe it's hanging across from the bridge. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the uh, like the psychopathic tendencies of that. Ancestor long ago has been passed down. It's just every so often one of them kills a swan, and then the queen's bodyguards come and. <laughs> and that's why they actually disappear. Yeah. Exactly. That's. Well, you can go and visit the family. They do private tours of the castle and everything, and or you can stay there actually in the the old original tower bit. They, they rent that out. So. So, what are the chances of another haunted castle in Scotland? I mean, really. Um, but Dunvegan Castle on the Isle of Skye is full of history and folklore and legend. And it spans even to present day with all the stories of different mysteries and magic that went on at the castle. The castle is actually currently Britain's oldest continuously inhibited castle, being home to the clouds of Dunvegan for over 30 generations, or roughly 100 years. Today, although most of the castle and grounds are open to the public, there are still some private rooms that are occupied by the descendants of the MacLeod clan chiefs. And the castle actually originally started off as a Norse fort, which is another name for a Viking ring fortress, which is a big circle with four kind of entrances and exits. Um, so it is restricted all the way around and it's got a kind of big fence around it. Um, well, stone fence around it. Um, and that structure was actually reconstructed into a castle in roughly 1350 um, by a MacLeod clan member called Malcolm. 
Now legend has it that the castle is protected by fairy magic in the form of a fairy flag made from a kind of yellowed silk with small red dots. And it's quite small, it's roughly 18 square inches or 45 centimetres in size. Um, the flag was gifted to the MacLeod clan by the fairies to help protect their members and do other mystical things like increase fertility or cure livestock of any disease um, and generally kind of increase animal populations so the islanders could eat and have a varied diet and ultimately live a long life. It's unclear exactly when or to whom the flag was originally gifted, but there are several stories and several versions of the tale. One of the most popular ones is that it was actually a clan chief who was a lover of a fairy, um, who the fairy, his fairy lover then gave him that flag as a gift um, to protect him and keep him safe. And it was a, also a myth, um, and it was also a symbol of good fortune. So the chief's name was Ian Keir, and he was known for being very attractive, alongside obviously being a very powerful man, as he was the fourth chief of the MacLeod clan. One day when he was out hunting, he came across a fairy princess, and it was pretty much love at first sight. However, the fairy king forbade the two from marrying because fairies are immortal. So ultimately the princess would have to watch her husband die as she outlived him and remained youthful and beautiful while he withered away. And her father didn't want to put her through that pain. Um, however, they eventually came to a compromise where the fairy princess would be allowed to live with the chief for 366 days, so a year and a day. But after that, she must return to her people after the time was up. The princess agreed and the happy couple got married and even welcomed the baby boy. But the year quickly rolled by and it was time for the princess to say goodbye to her new family and return to the fairies. However, the fairy princess snuck back into the castle one night to visit her child. And this was when she was spotted by a housemaid because she was heard singing a lullaby. The princess then vanished but left behind the cloth that would then make up the flag. What's interesting about this version of the tale is that there is indeed a Gaelic fairy lullaby that's been passed down generations of MacLeods, even to this day. In an alternative version of the story, however, before departing, the fairy princess gifts her husband the silk flag as a, way to, as a way for him to contact the fairies in a time of great need. The flag could only be used three times and the fairy magic would protect the clan in times of danger or misfortune. It said the flag brought great luck to the MacLeod clan over the years. And there was a battle in 1580 um, and the flag helped them win against the odds. It also magically cured disease and saved herds of cattle and other farm animals, helping provide food and keeping the locals fed. And finally, years later, during an ambush by the MacDonald clan, where they set fire to a church and killed members of the MacLeod clan who were inside, other members who survived waved the flag and suddenly their armies grew in number, allowing them to defeat the MacDonalds. And thus the flag had been used three times, and its magic was expected to wither. However, many members of the MacLeod clan kept ties to the flag, and even in more recent history, some members of the MacLeod clan, who were soldiers in the Second World War, carried pictures of the flag in their pockets for good luck. And we know this from letters that were written from the soldiers when they wrote letters to their homes. Um, other soldiers have also carried this charm in other wars, such as in Kenya in the 1950s. And over the years, the flag has become quite damaged. And these days it does sit behind kind of an encasing of glass in the castle, um, but it is still visible and it's something you can go and visit today. Um, in the past, pieces of the flag have been cut up to make trinkets for good luck, and the flag itself has also been used to wrap newborn heirs of the MacLeod clan 
to help protect the bloodline and prolong their lifespan, which seems to have worked quite well for them. Um, for anyone interested as well, um, in the 1920s, there was a group of specialists and experts that examined the famous fairy flag and determined the fabric was possibly from around the 4th or 7th centuries AD. Um, and there was also some suggestion that it may have come from the robes of a Christian saint. It's suspected the flag may have been brought to the MacLeods by Harold of Norway, who believed the flag made him an undefeatable warrior. Um, and he was or he thought he was completely invincible in battle. Seems to have served him well. And I think it's a lovely legend for a castle that's, well, it's an ongoing legend um, for a castle that's quite close to home. Love that story. <laughs> my favorite castle stories. Really? Oh, you must have a lot of insight. What else do you know? Because I was quite fascinated by this. There's a story, in the, the, when those specialists went and looked at it and said, oh, you know, we think this is, from like the Middle East was brought back during Crusade or you know whatever or by Harold Norrie sorry I remember there's a thing saying that basically the person had given the whole spiel to the clan you know chief of McLeod whoever he was at the time and he said that's that's fine I appreciate you're an expert but I know that the flag was given to my ancestors by the fairies and the specialist just said that I, I bow to your superior knowledge Mr. <laughs> and that was his thing he doesn't care it's they know, they know where he came from. They don't need a specialist to tell them. <laughs> Damn right. And the, the British, so the, the, the um, part of the thing about when the fairy princess like gave the flag or, or basically went back to the fairy people and they met at the fairy bridge um, in Dunvega. That bridge is still there at the back. Oh, um, oh, wow. Like it's really unassuming. It's this little tiny little thing, but it's on Google Maps. You can go to it. It's outside of the ground, so... I went and saw it went on Vegan Castle was shut. Um, yeah, that's Molly's. Yeah, I can hear her. And we it's water, so alive! Water to get the bridge, <laughs> No, I'd heard of the, the fairy flag before the John Vegan, but I didn't know a lot about it. I'd just heard that it was like a big kind of... I'd heard the, the three uses thing and everything, but I didn't know about the kind of different alternative theories and things about it. And I'd heard that it had been carried in World War Two, but I didn't know they had like pictures and the other ones as well. It, that was really cool. I'd love to go and sure. see it at some point. I'm sure there was a thing saying that the, the McLeods, like, the, the ones that were in the RAF that had the picture in their pocket, none of them were shot down in the Battle of Britain or something like that. The fairies yeah, I was so fascinated by that aspect of the story because I didn't realise it was something that people to this day still kind of, not practice isn't the right word, but they still kind of have that faith in that flag. Yeah. I, I always assume that folklore is like happened years and years and years and years ago when it's not relevant but actually well, this is pretty recent history mm -hmm. well you know if it's done you well uh, exactly if it works exactly. don't knock it exactly yeah. well, I'd love to see it I mean obviously this is a podcast so everyone listening will be able to actually see the flag but if you do google for it I think there are pictures and there's on the castle website there's a picture of it as well it looks so shredded. Oh. The poor thing. Like it must have been so pretty when it was whole, but yeah, these days it's it's but it, it survived well. I mean what is that something like seven, eight hundred years? Well, if it was what, seven hundred eighty did you say kind of later? So like that's thirteen hundred years over a thousand years. Wow. So that's an old bit yeah, of fabric. I think it was gifted twice to check the date actually. I think it was thirteen fifty. Okay, thirteen fifty. Oh, it was well, the ex that's when the castle was made, or rather when the fort was made into a castle. Yeah. Um, 
it could be much older, yeah. depending on how long it was in the fairy yeah. kingdom. We don't know. You yeah. know? <laughs> well, if Ian Pierre was a fourth chief, yeah, it could have been even longer. Yeah. Because we don't know the exact dates of when it was gifted. It's kind yeah. of wrapped in mystery, that bit. Yeah. Um, there's quite a bit of like associations between like fairies and castles and things as well. The fairies seem to love the castles as much as anything else. You've got a lot of that as much as hauntings and things. As well, like your old hill forts and everything, a lot of them were thought to be like the fairy mounds when they were like Roman hill forts or Iron Age hill forts. Because I nearly, one of the stories I nearly told was about one of the Iron Age hill forts that has also been a Roman hill fort and then was also, I think it was about three different hill forts they found to be over the time. And at uh, one point, the extent of the, the, um, the fenced and ground on top of this hill was about four acres, I think they said. So it was a fairly decent sized Whoa. settlement. Um, yeah, and it was meant to be like a big fairy mound of the southwest. So, if you went there or or disturbed it at all, apparently you would be taken away by the fairies. But um, since they've done a massive archaeological dig there a few years ago, and I don't know if any of the archaeologists have disappeared yet, but you know, <laughs> it might not be as, that would as be scary. Creepy. <laughs> it would be fun, wouldn't it? Oh, no. Tutankhamun's tomb style thing. I do also like this story. That it's one of the few that paints the fairies in a particularly positive light. Yeah. Like every other story we've covered, even on our podcast, it's always been all the evil fairies that are in the woods and trying to kill off the locals. But yeah, these these guys were nice. They mm. they came to the aid of the islanders whenever they needed it mm. over the course of however many years that they hadn't used up essentially their three wishes with the flag. Well, I suppose the princess would still be there in the fairy kingdom if she's eternal. This is very true. Yeah. <laughs> That is the thing about the story, is that it implies that basically the chiefs of Clan Cloud now are still, they are descended from the fairies. Yeah, half yeah. fairy people. Well, true enough, yeah, because the the baby boy, he would have been half, half fairy, fairy, yeah. Fairy. It's yeah. The, the, bit, the bit about the story that always, I think, is weird is the idea that, you know, the, the fairy princess and the, the Clan Chief can't be together because he will die and she'll carry on living. You know, it's very Lord of the Rings. But uh, they'll always be together for a year and a day. Like, that must still be pretty tough. Yeah. Like, I don't think they cram so much in a year and a day. I mean, you've got a pregnancy that lasts, yeah. what, nine months, give well, or take? For a human, we don't know how long it takes a fairy, you know. Oh, true enough, like two days. There you go. <laughs> That's a good point. Time does yeah. move slow in fairy realms. Well, you know, she also left the baby when she left. Yeah. So that was a condition that she just had to leave her entire family. Yeah. That seems a lot harsher than just waiting until he dies and then the sun grows old and then maybe you disappear. So it's, it's, it's not very easy to pick just one castle with a folklore story to tell. So I decided to go for this one since it's a castle most people probably never heard of and also it's got three separate stories that I get to tell. So this is Gicht Castle in Aberdeenshire, built by the Gordons in the 16th century on a little hill above a winding river. Uh, but most probably it was on top of older foundations. I mean, what cause the legendary prophet Thomas Reimer visited in the 13th century and declared that a gift three men by sudden death shall die 
and after that, the land shall lie in thee. And 500 years passed, and most people had probably forgotten about Reimer's prophecy when the castle was sold to the Earl of Aberdeen to pay off some family debts. And it was to be a gift for his son, Lord Haddo. And it was only four years later, Haddo fell from his horse and died. And not long after that, his servant died in a very similar manner, and suddenly Gith was down two out of three men. It's no surprise, suddenly the place was abandoned. It was thought to be cursed, and nobody wanted to be unlucky number three. And then several years later, the castle's falling to pieces, and a couple of men working in a nearby farmhouse, one of them explained a prophecy to the other, and joked, uh, you know, Reimer couldn't have been very great at prophecies, third death never happened. The very next day, a wall at the castle collapsed and killed him. Then the second legend, and then gift, is that the seventh laird hid his gold and jewels from roaming bands of Covenanter troops. He hid them at the bottom of a deep pool in the river, just below the castle. And then once the Covenanters were gone, the coast was clear, he sent his servant down into the depths to collect all of his treasure again. And that servant bursts back to the surface in a panic, screaming that the, the devil was down there guarding all the gold. But the laird wasn't a man to be refused, and he forced his servant back under, under threat of death. After a short wait, the diver appeared back on the surface of the pool, chopped into four separate pieces. His soggy ghost still wanders the grounds. But the devil is obviously a big fan of Geth Castle, so he features in the third legend as well. And this is one of many Scottish castles that has a story about a secret tunnel deep underground. Rumours that the devil was at the end of the tunnel. But that didn't scare one man. He brought his bagpipes with him to explore the tunnel. He told his friends, you know what, I'll play a marching tune as I go, show you the coast is clear, you can follow the sound along the top of the hill. And then he made a joke that, you know, if he did happen to see the devil, he'd play a lament instead. And his friends were listening to the cheery pipe tune playing as a friend disappears into the depths of the tunnel. And then all of a sudden the song changed. And they all looked horrified as a lament echoed out of the cave before it was sharply cut off. Now the entrance to a tunnel that's long gone, I couldn't find it anyway, but sometimes on a very dark, a very calm night, the ghostly sound of that lament can still be heard coming deep below Gecht Castle. Spooky stories. I like a, I like a, a demon spooky. and a piper. It's a good one for that. It's a very common one. That's the only thing. I think so many places have that sort of lost piper or drummer or whatever it is that goes into a cave. Um, but Gith Castle is a very creepy place. Yeah. It's, it's really sort of overgrown and like swallowed up. You can still wander inside if you want. Um, not, that, not that that should really be advised because it's probably not very safe. And <laughs> Well, if, if that there, builder, if that farmer was anything to go by, it's definitely not safe. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, me and Molly went in there. Uh, for anybody who hasn't heard before, Molly is the dog. And she was like, just not. Like, usually she like, runs around those places, doesn't care. And she like, just scuppers off her own. And, like that. and there was just one point, one little like doorway I went through to sort of have an explore. She would not go through it. She like, was genuinely just whimpering there. And it mm. gave me the fear. <laughs> that was the time I was like, no, I'm never going to get out now. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, dogs know. Dogs can sense these things. Like, she's not a smart dog, but she knew something. Mm. Say when you've got a, a devil that lives in tunnels and underwater, you know, it could be anywhere. 
Exactly. It does make me so like always makes me think that he's just on his holidays, like doing caving and <laughs> swimming, swimming pool. I think the gold's still there. Go for that. Could be my next funding bid. Just go for a dig. <laughs> it must be there. Guarded by the devil. Yeah, we can go down and, and check. Yeah. yeah. Get a snorkel out. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was so gruesome. Oh, four bits. Which, how did, yeah, how did you know which bits to section? That's horrid. If anybody knows about how to chop people up, it's the devil. Mm. Oh, I was going to say the story, just Graham, when you were saying that you went in with dog, and that kind of story reminded me of the um, when we told the ghost piper of Clanyard Bay, and the guy that went in with his dog, and the dog ended up running out to try and get people to rescue the guy. Um, but now he, he's he's the ghost piper of Clanyard Bay, so it didn't work out that well. So all I'm saying is, don't don't go to scary places if Molly says it's a no go. You should be okay as long as you don't bring a bagpipe with you by the sounds of it. <laughs> maybe the yeah. devil maybe the devil just really hates the sound of bagpipes and that's why all these caves ones, it's the piper that's... <laughs> exactly. Actually, to be fair, the bay one, that was, um, those fairies, wasn't the devil, but oh, close yeah. enough. They hated the bagpipes. To be fair, we know the devil does like the bagpipes because of Tam O'Shanter. Oh yeah, he does play them in that. Maybe he just doesn't like being challenged. Maybe he doesn't like hearing people who are better at the bagpipes than it. Or maybe he's just frustrated by incompetent bagpipers and he's the best. That, that makes sense, actually, yeah. yeah. One note out of tune. Yeah, that's it. It'd be fun if you could find like any tunnels or caves or whatever underneath. You should do one of those like ground-penetrating surveys to have a look and peek if there's anything there. Like, it's, it's one of those places that would really wouldn't surprise me. Like, it is on this sort of hill above this winding river and, like... Yeah, it, it really wouldn't surprise me if there was something sort of underneath there. Um, like, it does remind me a bit of... Have you ever been to Colleen Castle in Ayrshire? When is the power it's got, it's got caves underneath. It's a National Trust property now, mm. but there's genuine caves, but they've got a gate over them, so you can't just go wandering into ah. the ones. There's, there's some of them directly underneath the castle. Mm. Um, and that's what Colleen means. So it used to be called Cove Castle, or Cove Castle, and then it sort of thinned into Colleen. Tales, it's a... I never until I started like in the last few months doing more reading about Aberdeen folklore stuff. I didn't realize how much there was there. There's just tons, like as almost as much as like your Highland ones, because I'd always had a struggle for different areas other than the Highlands to find lots of folklore. But Aberdeen has just got so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. Our aim is to make the compiling and sharing of folktales accessible through digital streams. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at You can also check out all of our social media links in the show notes. If you would like to support the work we do, we have now launched a Ko-fi page where you can make a small contribution that will go a long way in helping us carry out the work we do. The link is in the show notes. The podcast will be taking a short break during May, so you can expect an episode of Campfire Tales as per usual on Monday the 2nd of May, then a three-week hiatus until we return with Into the Greenwood on the 30th of May. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.